What's up, nerds? This is Speculative Friction, my bite-sized spin-off podcast on the nonfiction side of romance novels. I'm your only host, Abby Cole. I'm your only host because Marcus and Sarah are still super busy, and because I still want to talk to you about the Viscount who loved me. It works out great for everyone. Last week, I talked to you about Anthony's phobia, which is bees. I neglected to tell you that it's also called apophobia, or maybe apophobia. And this week, I'm going to talk to you about Kate's phobia, which is thunderstorms, also known as brontophobia. Kate has an awful, terrible, deathly fear of thunderstorms. And in the book, at least at the beginning, she doesn't really know why. Later in the book, we do find out the reasoning for it, though. Basically, what happened is that when Kate was three, her mom was dying from some kind of, like, generic romance novel lung fever. Well, I shouldn't say generic romance novel lung fever, because let's be real, nobody back then knew what any diseases were anyway. Anyway, her mom is dying from some generic lung fever, and there are storms for days and days as her mom is getting sicker and sicker. And one night, Kate is in her mom's bedroom, uh, just as the thunderstorms have gotten really, really bad. And there's this awful clap of thunder, this like boom of thunder. Uh, And at the same time, her mom like sits upright in bed and like gasps for air. It's described as like the thunderstorm sounding like it was coming out of her mom's mouth, basically. And then her mom dies. Kate's like three years old and she witnesses her mom die. And uh, yeah, it traumatizes her. Now this gets like buried deep, deep, deep in her psyche. She has no real recollection of it. It resolves itself eventually, but yeah, it's really sad. Anyway, fast forward to the sort of present day of the book. And Kate is at a, one of my favorite tropes, a sort of summer house party at the Bridgerton's estate in the country. And she's up late one night, unable to sleep, and there is a thunderstorm. And at this point, Kate is wandering through the house, but she has like a full-on panic attack. And so what she has to do is hide underneath a table in the library, sort of trying to take shelter. At this point in the book, we see the point of view switch from Kate's to Anthony's. Anthony's also up and about uh, that evening because he can't stop thinking about Kate or whatever. And also because he loves thunderstorms so much because they're like proof of the force of nature over man or something like that. Anyway, he goes to the library as well to make sure that all the like windows are closed and the candles are out. And he finds Kate sitting underneath the table having this like full panic attack. And Anthony's been thinking about Kate all day, even though he doesn't want to think about Kate uh, or whatever. So he sees her there and so frightened and he decides to comfort her. This is a very, very good moment in the book. So I'm going to read you a small selection from it. At this point, Anthony is sort of crawling under the table where Kate is sort of huddled and shaking, sort of hugging onto her knees, and he tries to set her at ease. Eventually, he managed to scoot himself under the table so that he was sitting beside her on the floor with his arm around her trembling shoulders. She seemed to relax slightly at his touch, which left him with the oddest feeling, almost a sense of pride that he had been the one to be able to help her. That, and a bone-deep feeling of relief, because it was killing him to see her in such torment. He whispered soothing words in her ear and softly caressed her shoulder, trying to comfort her with his mere presence. And slowly, very slowly... He had no idea how many minutes he sat under that table with her. He could feel her muscles begin to unwind. Her skin lost that awful clammy feeling, and her breathing, while still rushed, no longer sounded quite so panicked. Finally, when he felt she might be ready, he touched two fingers to the underside of her chin, using the softest pressure imaginable to lift her face so that he could see her eyes. Look at me, Kate, he whispered, his voice gentle but suffused with authority. If you just look at me, you will know that you are safe. It's so good, guys! 
Uh, I can't get enough of this scene. It's really beautiful, like sort of before and after that as well, but you probably only want to hear me read it loud for so long. Before I start talking to you about the nonfiction side of things, uh, which is thunderstorms. When I started looking into the thunderstorm stuff, I was hoping to be able to dunk on the ancient Greeks, but it turns out that they like basically had an okay understanding of what was going on. They're like, oh, it's friction and wind in the clouds. And I mean, well, they also thought it was like gods fighting. So besides that, they were like, oh, friction, wind in the clouds, it makes lightning happen, whatever. Uh, so no dunking on the ancient Greeks today, unfortunately. Instead, I'm going to be using mostly information from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, otherwise known as NOAA. All of their like information about this on their site is super comprehensive and super clear. So thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm relying pretty heavily on your work. So thunderstorms. Thunderstorms just means a rain shower in which you hear thunder. Okay, we're starting really basic here, okay? We're gonna get into some more complicated stuff in a second. Thunderstorms is just a rain shower during which you hear thunder, and the thunder is the sound made by lightning. This is pretty common knowledge, I think. Although, the other day I was watching Jeopardy and a bunch of fools didn't know what the stratosphere was, so like, I don't even know what common knowledge is anymore, really. I'll get into thunder and lightning in more detail in a minute here, but first I want to talk to you about thunderstorms more broadly. There are an estimated 16 million thunderstorms worldwide each year, and at any point in time there are roughly 2,000 thunderstorms going on. There's about 100,000 thunderstorms in the U.S. every year, and about 10% of those reach severe levels. Severe thunderstorms are just when thunderstorms that contain one or more of the following, which is hail an inch or greater, winds in excess of 50 knots, which is 57.5 miles per hour, or a tornado. Thunderstorms are most likely to occur in the spring or summer during the afternoon or evening, but they can occur sort of whenever and at any time. Uh, it's just the conditions in which it's most likely to occur. The most dangerous part of thunderstorms is like the flash flooding. That tends to be more of an issue in terms of creating actual disaster and harming people. Lightning is also responsible for fires and wildfires and tornadoes obviously can like fuck up buildings. <laughs> so there are a number of things that are dangerous about it, but mostly it's the flash flooding that ends up being uh, a widespread issue. There are three main ingredients to a thunderstorm. You need moisture, obviously, uh, rising unstable air, and some sort of lifting mechanism to make the unstable air rise. Basically, here's how it works. The sun heats the earth, also obviously, then the air above it gets hot, and that air rises because it's less dense, and the air keeps like floating upwards. The floating upwards, like the lifting mechanism, can be a number of things. It can be like topographical features, such as mountains or hills, right? So if you get, so if you get like air blowing at a mountain, it's going to go up, can't go straight through the mountain. Or it can be where like warm air uh, meets cold air or where wet air meets dry air. And basically the different densities of these air masses causes one to rise above the other. At this point, when I was writing my outline for this episode, I wrote like warm air rises and I suddenly felt something in the deep recesses of my brain stir. And then I realized what it was, an eighth grade earth science project in which my friend and I uh, wrote a bunch of songs about earth science. One of those songs is about storms forming. And dear listeners, I've decided to be brave enough to sing to you the song that I wrote in eighth grade. Ahem. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the storm. The cold air mass moves into the air mass that is warm. The rising air condenses and the clouds begin to form and the rain falls to the earth. Ta-da! Anyway, that's my uh, nice little way for you to remember that uh, rising air condenses and clouds begin to form. Basically, that's how it works, right? As the air rises into freezing air, ice particles form from the moisture in the air. These form by condensed vapor collecting smaller liquid drops that are super cooled. So they're like, or colder than freezing, but not frozen. 
When these particles collide, they bounce off one another, and sometimes in transferring like little bits of ice between them, they get some electric charge with it as well. And when you get a lot of this electric charge going in one place, this makes these huge regions of clouds that are electrified, and that creates lightning. Thunderstorms have three stages in their life cycle, if you will. There's a developing stage, a mature stage, and a dissipating stage. The developing stage of a thunderstorm is when there's like a cumulus cloud. Those are those like, I don't know, those cloud ass looking clouds, uh, the fluffy looking ones uh, that's being pushed upward by a rising column of air, otherwise known as a updraft. The cumulus cloud soon looks like a tower called a towering cumulus as the updraft continues to develop. There is little to no rain during this stage, but occasional lightning. The thunderstorm's mature stage is when the updraft continues to, like, it's continuing to feed the storm, but precipitation, i.e. rain, uh, well, usually rain, uh, begins to fall out of the storm, which creates a downdraft, which is, as you might expect, a column of air going downwards. When the downdraft and the rain-cooled air spread out along the ground, it forms a gust front, so like a line of gusty winds. And in this mature stage, this is the most likely time for hail, heavy rain, frequent lightning, strong winds, and tornadoes. Uh, eventually, a large amount of precipitation is produced, and the updraft is overcome by the downdraft. And this is when we enter into the dissipating stage. At the ground, the gust front moves out a long distance from the storm and cuts off the warm, moist air that was feeding the thunderstorm. And then rainfall decreases in intensity, but lightning is still a danger even in this dissipating stage. There are a number of different types of thunderstorms, such as single cell. Uh, those are brief thunderstorms that are maybe like an hour or so long. Those are like sort of the quintessential formed by the summer heat ones. You can also find multi-cell thunderstorms, which is when you have a bunch of single cells together. Duh. Uh, these might produce hail, tornadoes, and flooding. Uh, another type is a squall line, which is a bunch of storms in a line. Uh, these squall lines are usually fairly long, but skinny, so they pass quickly. Uh, there's another type, what I really like is called a supercell. Noah calls this a highly organized storm, which uh, really tickles me. I like the idea of a storm being sort of regimented and uh, structured around specific procedures. Anyway, this is a highly organized storm uh, that lasts longer than an hour when the updraft is tilted and rotating, which is also called a mesocyclone. This mesocyclone can be up to 10 miles in diameter and 50,000 feet tall. A bow echo is a squall line that gets bowed in the middle. A final type of thunderstorm that I want to talk about is a mesoscale convective system, which is a collection of thunderstorms that act as a system. Uh, and these can last more than 12 hours and can include things like mesoscale convective complexes, mesoscale convective vortexes, and derechos. I'm not going to get into all the details of these because it starts to get a little bit repetitive, but basically these mesoscale convective systems are long-lasting in a bunch of storms that work sort of together. However, none of what I've talked to you about so far is scary. What Kate is afraid of is thunder. As I mentioned before, thunder is the sound made by lightning, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about lightning first. Lightning is, um, <laughs> I have it written in my notes as big electricity. So yeah, lightning is big electricity between clouds, the air, or the ground. Basically what happens here is that air insulates between positive and negative charges in the cloud or between positive and negative charges between the cloud and the ground. When the positive and negative charges build up enough, they overcome this insulation and there's a rapid discharge of electricity. 
This temporarily equalizes charges, but will build up again and continue to reoccur. So this rapid discharge of electricity is what we're looking at when we see lightning. Lightning can be intracloud or cloud to ground, and it occurs in thunderstorms, obviously, but it can also be seen in volcanic eruptions, uh, extremely intense forest fires, heavy snowstorms, large hurricanes, and Noah here casually mentions surface nuclear detonations. I looked into this a little bit more because it seemed like a fucking casual thing to throw onto the end of a list. But basically, in a nuclear detonation, you can see lightning coming up from the ground, which in a 1972 study, Uman et al. found that Quote, the likely mechanism for the necessary charge and electric field generation were Compton electrons produced by gamma rays from the detonation. Folks, I do not know what that means, but I bet it means something to some of you because I know I got a bunch of scientists listening to this one. So there you go. There's some information for you to work out without my uh, layman's help. Anyway, lightning heats the air to around 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is hotter than the fucking surface of the sun. So basically, the air explodes outwards and creates a shockwave that is heard as thunder. Thunder can be heard up to 25 miles away, but it sounds different depending on how close you are to it, because higher sound frequencies get absorbed more quickly by the air. Closer up, thunder will sound like a tearing sound, uh, and a bit farther away, there's sort of a cracking sound, and further away, it sounds like rumbling. Um, Vavrek et al. categorized the sounds of thunder as follows. Um, there are claps that are loud sounds lasting 0.2 to 2 seconds and containing higher pitches, peals, which are changing in loudness and pitch, rolls, which are irregular mixtures of loudness and pitches, and rumbles, which are quieter and last for longer and low-pitched. Thunder not only sounds different depending on how far away you are, but also you hear it like longer after you see the lightning, depending on how far away you are. This is, I think, kind of common knowledge, right? You think of counting uh, the time between lightning and thunder to see how far away the storm is. If you do want to calculate this, basically light travels roughly a million times faster than sound. So you count the number of seconds between the flash of lightning and the thunder that you hear. Because sound travels about a fifth of a mile per second, you can divide these seconds by five to get the number of miles. So count the seconds, divide by five, that's how many miles. Most lightning occurs in the cloud itself and doesn't actually strike the ground. If it's going to strike the ground, a channel develops downward and within 100 yards, trees and bushes and buildings start sending up sparks to meet it. And if these sparks connect, the current surges rapidly downwards. Cloud-to-ground lightning is when a channel of negative charge called a stepped ladder zigzags down in a forked pattern. The stepped ladder is invisible to the human eye, actually. So when the ladder hits the ground, it causes channels of positive charge to go upwards. So this oppositely charged ladder, ladder downwards and streamer upwards, creates the flow of an electrical current. Uh, and that's what we see as lightning. When you see lightning flickering, it's when the process is repeating along the same path back and forth. Heat lightning is one of those ones that's like silent. People refer to it that way. It can have like sort of a reddish glow. And uh, it's the same as regular lightning, actually. It's just that it's like too far away for the thunder to be heard. Um, so it doesn't sound like anything. But it's the same. One of the things that I read about in my research here that I had literally never heard about before uh, is something called a transient luminous event, which is honestly the best title for anything. No, you know what? It's not the best because the different types of transient luminous events are actually the best named things of all weather. Yeah, they're fucking excellent. They're called red sprites, blue jets, and elves. Noah basically says like, these are poorly understood, but here's our best guess at it. 
Red sprites occur directly above a thunderstorm and they're large but weak. They can be up to 60 miles from the cloud top. These are mostly like red and resemble jellyfish or carrots or columns. They can only be seen at night and are actually rarely seen by the human eye, so it's unusual for humans to see them without like specific photography equipment. Another type of transient luminous event is a blue jet. These emerge from the top of a thunderstorm as narrow cones sort of fanning out in heights of 25 to 35 miles. And elves. Elves are rapidly expanding disc-shaped glowing regions up to 300 miles across that last less than a thousandth of a second. These were discovered by the space shuttle in 1992, and they're known to be associated with terrestrial gamma ray flashes, or TGFs. This is another part in our programming today where I will tell you a quote from a scientific publication, and if you get it, you're good, and if you don't, me neither. And I quote, TGFs appear to originate where strong electric fields exist in a deep region to act as a particle accelerator that is seeded by cosmic ray particles. This can also produce beams of relativistic electrons. So if that means anything to you, that's what an elf is. Aptly enough, as I finish up recording here today, it is starting to thunderstorm. Uh, good timing. I don't want you to hear any peals or cracks or rumbles in the background. Fortunately, I'm of Anthony's mind about things. I think thunderstorms are awesome. And that's my expert opinion. <laughs> <laughs>